for you to do your diligence and look up what, the, you know, what these people are teaching. Okay? Because we are responsible and accountable to God to uphold the message. Let me spend 10 minutes to review what we went over last week. So how many of you can tell me what the message was about? I know Daniel and Joanne and Van excuse because they're not, they were not here. They were not able to, to come last week. How many, you, how many of you actually go home and look up the outline that I passed out? Chuck can give us a summary of what was discussed. <laughs> Thank you <clears throat> for the note. Anyone else? What was God's verdict? Okay, I'm going to start summarizing the points. What was God's verdict? And the passage was in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to chapter 2, verse 11. God's verdict is that we knowingly sin. Okay? There's not... What God is saying is that through His creation, man is without excuse when they sin. And how does sin start? Can anyone tell me? How does sin start? I think Jonathan has the scripture that I asked him to read. He's <laughs> in James. Thank you. So how does sin start? You know, heart. Right? It doesn't start from outside. Sin starts from the heart. And what does the Bible say about our heart? Amen. It's the most deceitful thing. And so, when a person said, you know what, I'm going to trust my heart. Isn't it what society is promoting? Trusting your heart? That's the last thing you want to do, is to trust your heart, because your heart is the most deceitful thing, is the most wicked thing. And what are the three folds? What I call it? I, I call it the three folds of God giving us over. What are those? The reason I'm doing this exercise is I want for you to, I'm leading you somewhere. 
that our heart is the most wicked thing. We sin knowingly against God. And when we sin, guess what? God start releasing us. Okay? The three things that he handed us over to, that he gave us over. The first thing is what? The sinful desire of our heart. That's in Romans 1 verse 24. The second thing is vile affection. Okay? You start liking things that are unholy. The third thing that God gives us over is a reprobate mind. Who can tell me what reprobate is? The term reprobate comes from mining. You know when people used to, in the old days when they mined for gold or silver, what they do is they have a selection process where they filter out the quality of different types of silver or different type of gold. And so they set aside the one that has almost no quality at all in terms of the metal, precious metal. And they characterize it as reprobate. Okay? So when the scripture uses the term reprobate, it's a very dangerous term. I mean, it's serious. That means your mind is no longer, no longer be able to think properly. Okay? Think for a moment. The only thing that God has given us is our mind. And if it is in a reprobate state, we have no recourse. So the question is, can a person come to God or can, can a person seek the Lord on him or her own ability? Can a natural person come to know God? I want for you to think about this question because there are a lot of false teaching out there that promote the idea that man is good, that man can approach God, that man can come to God on his or her own ability. And that is unscriptural, you know that. Why? Because I just proved to you from the previous points that when we start sinning, there's no recourse. Let's go to First Corinthians chapter two, verse fourteen. 
Can someone read that for me, please? So I have, this is kind of like a, a review uh, thing, so I didn't have the scriptures up for you. But first Corinthians chapter two, verse 14. First Corinthians two fourteen, right? Yeah. Okay, so but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can they no, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Let me reread this in the in the NIV version. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. You know, the best analogy that I have for this verse is, um, is this. How many of you like durian? Durian. Soringa? <laughs> okay, we have only a few who like soringa. But you know, I was watching this YouTube. There are some good things about YouTube, okay? You can learn a lot of things. I was watching uh, a few episodes on uh, some of the Europeans that try to taste durian for the first time. And you know, I just watch it and I've noticed that, you know, the, the uh, what's it called, the uh, The whole you know, event as to observing a, a person trying this thing out, okay? He or she was introduced to durian by a friend, and they said they all tell him, it's so good you got to taste it, you know? And, and then you start, you know, the, the, the videos start recording, and uh, you start seeing the person sit down and, and start seeing, you know, uh, the durian being opened up, right? And the first thing is re reaction to the smell. You know, it's like, it smells so bad. And uh, actually in, in, in this episode, the wind was so strong that this person was not able to smell it, right? But then when he start tasting it, when he start putting the spoon into the, the, the durian and start putting it up to his mouth, and he start 
that's when he started really getting a whiff of the smell. And he was just like, wow, this is strong. And then, but there's, you know, there are other people, his friends were encouraging him, try it. Try it and see what, what it tastes like. And he starts trying from the outside, you know, the outside, and then he meticulously going into the, the inside. And you can start, you can look at the expression in his face. It starts going from, you know, I know I don't like this, but I'm going to try it, to a very strong opposition. It's like, I hate this thing. There's no way I'm going to be able to handle this. And you know, this is the analogy that I use, I think, appropriately explain this verse that we just saw here. Eating durian is an acquired taste. That means you have to learn, how, learn to eat it from a very young age. Because after a certain age, it requires a tremendous effort to make yourself like it. Okay? Tolerated is one thing, but liking it and then loving it and enjoying every minute of it. That is something that the Holy Spirit will have to put in our mind that converts us and giving us the ability to accept His Word. And one more point I'd like to make is our understanding of God is very wrong. Okay? And this is going to be an exercise for you to go home and read the book of Job. Okay? The book of Job is probably one of the best literature in existence that describes human suffering, and where God fits in it. And even in the best setting, you know, in the book of Job, where you have the contention between Job and his friends. Okay? And these guys are in their best behavior in terms of giving God the most respectful credit that he deserves. Okay? So as I read through the book of Job, I notice, hey, these, these guys' arguments are very sound. And what becomes very clear to me is that the, the people of the ancient days because the, the book of Job was written like uh, a few hundred years before Jesus came. But as you read it, you notice that 
the attitude and, 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 and the, the mindset of the people of the old days are very godly. You know? They're so godly that even you and I today cannot even think, you know, we'll, we'll probably disagree with the things that, that they uphold. They probably give God too much, uh, what do you call it? Credit. But you know, in the end of the book, this is what God concluded. God said, God said to uh, Job's friends, he said, you guys better ask Job to pray for you, to divert the things I'm going to do to you. Because what you said about me is wrong. You know, that really shocked me. It's like, wow. These guys even say good things about God. You know, the words they have is very appropriate, very respectful, and very giving God the honor and the glory that he deserves. But God's conclusion is this. You. I don't like the things you said about me. And whenever God doesn't like something, guess what? The person who said that is in big trouble. Because he said he was about to destroy them. Can you believe that? So let me remind us all that our mind, when it's in the best, when it's in this best reasoning ability, does not think about God properly. Now we're going to go into the message today, which I only have 15 minutes left. Thank you. Did you all get that? You know, the reason I asked uh, Daniel to read that passage is that I want to see how attentive you are at the reading of the Word of God. Okay? See, so often we are so in tune to, you know, how good the speaker is, or how eloquent he is, right? So we're setting expectation as to, oh, what does this person have to say? But very seldom do we give the Word of God the preeminence, the preeminence that it de- deserves. Right? At the reading by a little child, to me, it is more important than the best speaker in the universe. Because why? Because he's reading the Word of God. And here we have an incident where Abraham is the ancestor, the father of nations, the father of who's haggling with God to beg him to save Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me divert just a few seconds, I mean, just a half a minute here. Sodom and Gomorrah commits a very hideous crime before God. But God is so patient. God does not want to destroy the wicked with the righteous. And so God was willing to hear Abraham's plea. How about 50? How about 45? 40? 30? All the way down to 10? 
And you know, he, he dare not go down below 10. Why? Why is that? Why doesn't Abraham go down to even 1? Because at 10, if he go down lower than 10, he proves, he shows that he has no faith in God. But as you can, can see how patient God is, how loving God is, in that he does not want to destroy the wicked with the righteous. David, can you read the next passage for us? Sure. You can sit down or stand up either way. Read out loud so that we, people can listen. Thank you. What do you see in this passage? <coughs> what do you see in this passage? That God destroyed. His judgment is real. You know what, uh, what hit me the most is uh, when the angels were in town, these people don't know that they're angels. Isn't that scary? The angels were in town, and these guys don't know that they're angels. They were about to, to do something that is abominable before the Lord. But this passage uh, no, depicts God's judgment. So when we sin, God will destroy. Because that's God's nature. It's something that uh, that you cannot avoid. Actually, I got, uh, I got a few more uh, passages, but I'm going to cut it short because my time is running out. But I want to relate this thing um, to my final point is how do we escape God's wrath? I know that you hear all these theology about Christ came, died for us, we accept Christ, follow him, he's all paid for, he's all taken care of, right? But I want to raise your curiosity to another angle. And this one passage I want for you to read, it is Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 verse 40. And we're going to call a few, uh, few uh, verses here. Starting verse 40, Acts chapter 2. I'm going to wrap it up in three minutes. With many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and were and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the 
by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the, fervor, the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Campers, you remember the five offices that we discussed, right? The architect, innovation, innovator, gods, scholars, and givers. I'm going to give you the challenge. The passage we just read is a footprint of the church that God expects. Okay? You as an architect, an innovator, a scholar, a God, a giver, needs to start working hard and start looking as to how we get to this state. Okay? The reason I'm saying this is because all of this, this, this theology about salvation will not hold a candle until the kingdom of God is built according to this footprint. Okay? And the church that is not following this footprint is under God's wrath. One thing we need to keep in mind is that God's wrath works very mysteriously in that the more you sin, the more you continue in sin, He will let you continue to be in the state you're in. Because you notice that the point that I left out is when God destroyed the Canaanites. 400 years before God gave the order to Joshua to go into the land of Canaanite and destroy them, God predicted that they will their sin will increase to such a time where God will harvest. So don't think for a moment that God allows the wicked to continue in, in, in their wicked state as if God ignoring them. No. God is letting just like a, 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 a fruit that is growing. He'll let it ripe before he harvested. Okay? So a challenge for all of us, for every one of us, is to study this passage, the footprint of the church that God wants us to be.
and start thinking about how we build this church. Amen? Let us stand and we'll uh, pray, closing prayer, and then we'll wrap up. Father, I just want to thank you for uh, your love and your patience, God. Father, I pray you give us the uh, desire to love you, desire to to obey you. Lord, as we leave this place, please be with us. Please keep us safe. And may we meditate upon your word. May we long to worship you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.